Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to a one-off special Failed Critics podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello, Steve. Hello. Uh, There's not much special about it. We're just bored. Yeah, I've got a day off work. You're still at home, bored out of your mind, so why why not do a podcast? Yeah, I had two weeks off after an operation and I've lost my mind now, so um, (laughs) this is the way over it. Uh, So yeah, we're podcasting for you with a triple bill on um, some films we've seen in 2019, um, a new release, a uh, a film we've seen for the first time, and uh, a film to avoid. And mm-hmm. we're also going to do what we've been watching, which we'll get stuck into now. And what have you been watching, Owen? Str- straight into what straight we've been in. watching. No, yeah. no, how are you? No, what you've been up to? No. We've just Again, been through just... that. You're, you're off work and I'm off work. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we've made a conscious decision not to talk about Brexit as well. Yeah. Brexit. You're you're not allowed to, and I can't be bothered. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Can't call into question my impartiality anymore. Yeah. Um, but I can still have honest opinions about films. That's allowed. So. Until they release Brexit the movie. <laughs> yeah, and then I can't comment on Brexit. Yeah. Movie. Um. But yeah, okay. What have I been watching? Well, in the last week, I watched a um, a film that kind of uh, basically what happened was when Suspiria was coming out last year, I wanted to watch the original Suspiria. The only place you could see it online, uh, the only place to stream it, was through the BFI player. And I thought, okay, I'll just get a subscription, like a trial. Through Amazon, you know, it's on the Amazon Prime channels. I'll get a BFI yeah. subscription. Um, after the seven days, I'll cancel it. Um, but at least there I can watch the original Suspiria. And I did. I watched it and it was, you know, still as good as it ever was. Uh, but I forgot to cancel the free trial and it kind of rolled on. And actually, when I looked into it, I thought, actually, there's there's quite a lot of films here that, I'll, that I've either wanted to watch in the past or I'll probably get around to watching again at some point in the future. And one of those films that's on there is a, a kind of art house, weird Japanese film that's kind of notorious called Tetsuo the Iron Man. And it's just over an hour long, so it's not a very long film. I can give you the synopsis here straight from IMDb. A businessman accidentally kills the metal fetishist who gets his revenge by slowly turning the man into a grotesque hybrid of flesh and rusty metal. That's 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 exactly what happens. It's a black and white Japanese film. I think it was released it was yeah, released in 1989 in Japan. Yeah. And uh it's kind of a halfway house between a David Lynch and David Cronenberg film. It's a bit a razorhead and it's it's a bit like body horror, or it's a lot body horror. There's also a lot of nudity and and sex in it, Steve. Shh. It's a bit rude. Um, but it's rude in a, this is a grotesque thing kind of rude. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, the, the special effects in it, they are all, obviously they're not CGI because it's a, you know, a low, 
ish budget Japanese film from 1989. It's not competing with The Abyss that was around at the same same time, or it's not competing with other showy off special effects sort of big Hollywood movies of the time. But it is full of um, very clever special effects, like a guy who rams an iron rod into his own leg. And I don't mean like straight down like he was impaling it. I mean, he pushes it into the flesh in his leg. And it's like, that is gross. That is really grim. But I admire the the work that's gone into making that so grotesque and so grim and so horrible to look at. Um, I'm sure it's a commentary on like industrialization of the time or, you know, the the kind of loss of individualism and all the, all the stuff that kind of is stereotyped about Japanese culture and all of that kind of stuff. But it's also absolutely nuts. It's yeah. so, so bizarre. Like, I, I struggle to describe the, the story because I don't think the story is as, as compelling as just seeing it do all of the crazy shit that it does. Um so yeah, so I, I, yeah, I've got around to watching that. So it's ticked off the list. Probably not one I will revisit with any urgency. Um, I can see why people think of it as a, a, a kind of masterpiece, but for me, it's it's one that's off the list, and um, I'm glad it was only an hour because I'm not sure how much more of it I could have stomached. To be honest, yeah, yeah. How about you? What have you been watching lately? <clears throat> well. I've watched the the disappearance of Madeleine McCann documentary series. It's just gone onto Netflix, the eight part yep. documentary series. It's all right, but yeah, there's be nothing... careful what you say, Steve, because no, I don't uh, want yeah. to get us sued. <laughs> no, no. All I'm going to say is, um, you know, there's there's nothing new in it. It's uh-huh. not overly interesting or engaging or has a new angle on the case. And did it really need eight one-hour episodes? Mm. Probably not. I guess you've got to think, if it's for an international audience, do you think maybe that might explain why they've devoted so much time to it? Because it's such a well-known case here. But is it well-known in, you know, other regions that Netflix has, like America? and There is an obsession with, like, true crime. Yeah, Um, which I was going to come on to. Are you bored mm. of true crime yet? Or were you ever into true crime at all? Or... I mean, I think, I think what kicked it off was it was a mixture of a couple things, wasn't it? There was um, Serial, the podcast yeah. that came out and was just a phenomenon. Um, the first season of Serial was it was it had more downloads than so many other podcasts. Like everything that people think of of popular podcasts, like the Ricky Gervais show, mm. or um, you know, sort of Smodcast or anything like that. It, it had so many more downloads than that than they did and it was about a you know real life case that was ongoing in america so you had that and then you had the making a murderer documentary on netflix yeah. which combined just there was a massive um upsurge of these true crime documentary shows and podcasts and and i think it was just it just reached a bit of like saturation point um, but yeah, Netflix I mean, being Netflix, obviously, just keep keep going because it's popular. I suppose it's relatively cheap to make, isn't it? For yes, true. For, but I mean, you've had the Ted Bundy tapes and, um, like I said, making a murderer, serial, um, staircase, uh, mm-hmm. evil genius, all kinds of things. Dirty John was another recent one where Netflix have also done a a, film, uh, a series as well, but uh, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, also mm-hmm. a documentary kind of covering it and it's just you know can't be bothered to watch any more sort of cases where at the end of it they you know like the, the Madeleine McCann one they don't really come up with any theory it's not their idea to come up with theories they just present all sure. the evidence to you and all the circumstances evidence what people what witnesses say they saw the timings of various different things and but at the end of it you still haven't got an answer yeah it's you know there's there's no conclusion to it it's you know at the end it's pretty much we still don't know what happened oh so i've watched for eight hours and i still haven't got i'm no none the wiser than what i am at the start of this yeah it reminds me a little bit of like all those documentaries you see on um you know 
the, the Sky channels that I don't have anymore. If you ever had the documentary package with Sky and it's it's you you watch some of them, and you think, oh, this is quite interesting. And then it gets towards sort of the half an hour mark and you're like, wait, they they haven't got a clue what what really happened. And then yeah. it gets to the end and it's like, and we still don't know. So thanks for watching. Goodbye. I said, well, yeah. what, what, you just, it's, it gets a bit infuriating, I think. Mm. Because you, you just go through the same thing over and over, which is, and nobody knows the end. Yeah. I said, well, where's the, there's no conclusion to that. There's no journey that you've been on. It's just thrown a load of information at you and then sodded off. There's just so much true crime now as well. Everybody seems to think, well, Serial did a really good true crime podcast, so we can probably do one as well. And they're not at that level. They don't have as much information or access to information as what sort of Serial had. And you just, what is the what is the point of all this? I mean, it's just it mm. is just oversaturation of of a market, and it'll it'll probably go away soon because people will be bored yeah. of it. There's um, I mean, doc, there's, it's weird, isn't it? Because documentaries are still as compelling as ever. I think that there are still really good documentaries being made, oh, and yeah. not just not just on Netflix and not just in cinema, but you know, John Ronson. Um, did you listen to the Butterfly Effect, his podcast? Because that was fascinating. It was a seven part. I think they were only half an hour each. These episodes, um, seven part uh, podcast that looked at specifically the. Um, effect that Pornhub has had on the porn industry. So I never heard of it. Effect. Not the podcast, uh, yeah. the, the website. Never heard of it. <laughs> well, um, it's a YouTube of user-uploaded content for pornography, basically. Uh-huh. Um, but it, yeah, but it, yeah, it, I, I don't don't Google it now. Um, but maybe after after the podcast, you you could do a bit of research if you like. But I'm just saying that. John Rodson, who's um, an author, journalist, and um, he made this show, which was about the the ripple effect, the butterfly effect of one guy's idea to turn um, to to give pornography away for free and make absolutely tons of money doing it at the same time, um, and it it shows how uh, it changes the porn industry completely like one of the he was recently on Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast talking about this and one of the things he said was that um the way SEO search engine optimization influenced porn titles even like that's how how far it goes so things that would have been called women of influence you know 20 years ago are now called step daughter gangbang orgy and stuff like that because it picks up on the, the the terms it's a it's a race to get to the top of the charts for what people search for but by where i'm going with this this is going somewhere <laughs> the the thing that he said was the most searched for term now is step in porn which is absolutely gross right the idea that the word step as in stepdaughter or stepfather or stepbrother is the most searched for porn term is really like icky. But he says that someone approached him and said, what the, the reason for that is because, you know, porn connoisseurs, I guess they would call themselves, porn connoisseurs know that the word step results in the best quality pornography. So you've got this cycle now where people are looking for the term step because they're looking for the the best quality version of the thing they're after. So they're just skipping the, people... the they're just skipping the storyline bit and going straight to the action. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. They're not they're um, not interested in the the icky step bit. They just think, well yeah. that's the best quality action I'm going to see. <laughs> so yeah. I'll skip the story bit because no one's really watching it for the story, are they? They're watching true crime yeah, on get... Netflix for story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But then you've got, like, the people who are making the porn going, oh, the stuff that's called Step is significantly more popular. We should make more of that. So you've got this cyclical effect where the the people are searching for the term they think is giving them the best quality thing, and the people making it are going, oh, people are really into stepdaughter porn. I should make more of that. And so you've got this kind of situation where... It might not necessarily be the content that's driving the 
algorithms to search for stuff. And so maybe with Netflix, I don't know if there's some kind of correlation where people are going, the best quality documentaries, I like documentaries, the best quality documentaries are these true crime documentaries at the moment. And Netflix are going, people really love true crime documentaries, we should make more of those. So whether yeah. it's actually the effect, I don't know. It's, but it's interesting to think about because Netflix works entirely on algorithms. It works on, this is what people want. We should make more of this, um, which m might mm. not be the best way of, of doing it. They are, they are throwing out more and more content all the time than Netflix, aren't they? I think I, I was looking um, today at what they've released already in 2019. Apparently in April, they've got 40 original Netflix-made titles coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, on the UK Netflix, so I mean that's that's quite a lot of content to be to be churning out, and I think a, f a fair few are documentaries. I think there's a mm. David Attenborough one going on to Netflix, which is a new new collaboration. Oh really? I believe so. I might have might have got that wrong, but um, mm. wouldn't surprise me if I was getting things wrong after all this time. No, he is putting something onto onto Netflix called Our Planet. Well, see, again, this is another one of those um, possibly algorithmic things, isn't it? Where they went, Blue Planet was good. People liked Blue Planet too. There was a big thing about plastic and maybe we'll get the guy who voiced that in to do another documentary about it. I don't know if that's how it worked. You know, it might not be. They might have just might have been a happy coincidence. Putting, they putting might have two and two to together Netflix, and but... hoping they get four and not seven. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. But no, true crime documentaries, I am too a bit bored of them. I don't think I even want to watch most of them. Like the Ted Bundy one, like ethically, I think I mm. don't really want to watch that. I think a lot of the reason that people watch these programmes as well, these these shows as well, is that is that kind of when it's such a a a big, you know, show, a documentary, like making a murderer, even the Madeleine McCann one everyone's talking about it and you don't want to be the one at work or when you're out sure. for a drink with your friends who doesn't know anything about it and you're left out of the conversation. So you're almost kind of compelled to watch it so you're not sat there just listening to people talk about something you don't know about for a couple of hours. Mm. I know I know full well that if I'd have been at work the last two weeks and not off, off sick effectively, that the people I work with would have been talking about this Madeleine McCann documentary. And Probably, yeah, because yeah. I, because I work in a small office where there's only a team of about five of us, I would have been essentially, if I hadn't watched it, being talked at for uh, however long they want to talk about it for, rather than talk to about it or talked mm -hmm. with about it. Yeah, well, well, the thing is, you're off work and you've still watched it anyway. Well, yeah, but I have had a lot of time <laughs> off and nothing to do, so there's only so much Football Manager you can play. Yes, you're quite right. There's, there's only so much of anything that you can do. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Let's leave that there. So, um, triple bill of a, a new release we've seen in 2019, a uh, film we've seen for the first time in 2019, and a film of either category that we would say to avoid. Mm. Yes. Yeah, um, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so, what have you seen for a new release for 2019? Um, I haven't watched an awful lot of films this year. Like, tr traditionally, right, I've been the guy in the podcast who watched tons of movies. Um, yeah. Um, I haven't really watched many this year. I reckon I've probably watched about 20 films mm. in total in 2019. Yeah. Um, that's new releases, re-watches, uh, first-time watches. So... It's kind of slim pickings for me, but there are a couple of films that I've seen that were released this year that I was um, very impressed by. Um, specifically for this, picking the best new release of 2019, it was a toss-up between two films for me. I was being, uh, if I was being slightly more hipster, I'd probably have said Velvet Buzzsaw, which was a relatively low-budget horror thriller movie directed by Dan Gilroy, who's the guy who made Nightcrawler. Right. Um, yeah, and Velvet Buzzsaw was released on Netflix uh, back in January, earlier this year. I really liked it. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal. He's an art critic. He discovers an artist, and this artist has stolen some paintings that have a supernatural power. 
Um, they're a bit Dor bit Dorian Gray-esque, a bit reverse Dorian Gray, I suppose. Um, because instead of keeping the person beautiful like Dorian Gray, it gets revenge on them for their greed. It's sort of re This revenge is enacted on them. Bit Final Destination-esque, I suppose. Uh, it's very, very good. Looks incredible. And felt very much like it owed a debt of gratitude to classic horrors. I'm thinking specifically the Hammer Horror and Amicus films from around the 70s, like uh, Vault of Horror, stuff like that. But that isn't the film that I'm picking as my favourite of 2019. Instead, I think I'm going to plump for a slightly more popular choice uh, and pick The Favourite, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, he of the Lobster and Dogtooth fame. Uh, I quite like historical period dramas anyway. Have you seen The Favourite, Steve? Uh, no, it... I haven't. Okay, okay. Well, it was up for a lot of awards. Um, it's it is a it is a historical period drama, but it's got like a, a kind of twist on it because um, it's a it's a biopic or a snapshot of Queen Anne's reign in the early seventeen hundreds. Um, but I think most people will know the favorite as the film where Queen Anne is played by Olivia Colman, and she won an Oscar for her performance for it last month. She picked up the uh, Academy Award for, for Best Actress. It was absolutely fully deserved as well. Olivia Colman has always been a fantastic actor. Not just like a comedy actor in things like Peep Show and Green Wing, but, you know, in dramas as well, more serious stuff. Tyrannosaur, she was fantastic in. Broadchurch has been, has been uh, highlighted frequently over the past sort of month or so. Um, she's great in Flowers as well, which I don't know if you've seen. There's a series on Netflix at the moment. It was... I watched it when it was on Channel 4 and stars Julian Barrett um, of The Mighty Boosh, uh, which is somewhere in between comedy and drama, but she's very good in that as well. And I don't I don't really pay attention to Oscars in the same way as I used to anymore. Um, you know, I would have made sure I'd seen as many of the nominated films as I could have before we recorded a podcast in the past. Um, but I think after a while, I sort of realised that they don't, they don't really award the best movies. They don't award the best performances or the best directors. It's it killed my enthusiasm for the Oscars a bit. It's very it seems very cliquey and insular looking at it from the from the outside. It's just a, like a big old political backslapping contest. Um but nevertheless, you know, I was still really pleased for Olivia Coleman and slightly disappointed for both Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone as well, that they couldn't both pick up awards for their role in The Favourite because they were also great. Um, but it's not, yeah, it's not just their, their performances. I think the film as a whole was superb as well. Um, the whole gay relationship stuff was interesting. Whether, whether or not it was historically accurate, I don't know. Um, there was an interesting BBC article that I read on it that said could have been true, but, you know... Either way, the, I think the constant use of, of both that and the, the, they say the word cunt a lot. The word cunt is used frequently in the film. And the first couple times it feels a bit jarring, like it's not naturally worked into the conversation. Um, so whenever anybody says it it's, it, it's a bit weird because it takes you out of the film a little bit. Um, but I think that was being done deliberately. I think they were using it to emphasise something about the perception of powerful women. Like, this is a film about Queen Anne. She's the queen. But the majority of the men in the film, they still look down on her and on women in general. And so I think using that word and using um, the relationship between two men, uh, sorry, between two women um, as a way of excluding men is also quite... It, I just think it's a very interesting film to think about. Um, also, watching it, I was never bored. I don't think I've, I was bored through any part of it. I could have watched it. Like I, th I said on Twitter afterwards, you could pause the film every 60 seconds and probably see something else that means something more. Like, the way it could be perceived could be changed with each scene. And I found it very fascinating to watch. Um... And for that reason, I'm definitely going to watch it again. I think that's why I chose it over Velvet Buzzsaw, because I reckon each time that you watch The Favourite, or certainly every time I watch it, and I'm going to, I am going to watch it again, I'll, I'm sure I will see something new in it um, and take away something more from it. So, yeah. So for that reason, I think The Favourite has been my favourite film of 2019 so far. 
What about you? What's been your favourite film? Well, I've not seen a great deal of new releases from 2019. I mean, I, I gave up my Empire, um, uh, whatever their equivalent of Unlimited is, yeah, a while ago because I wasn't using it enough. And uh, yeah, I've just barely been to the cinema recently. I've only seen two films at the cinema in 2019 and then a couple of Netflix oh, wow. and Prime new releases. Just been not been enough on to sort of get me out of sure. my chair to, to go along to watch. Um, so I went to see Captain Marvel um, while I was off work and that was fine. It was okay at best. It wasn't, not allowed to say it because then you out yourself as a massive sexist if you don't praise the film uh, to the I hilt. I don't think but that's true. <laughs> I don't know, some some people kind of have given me that impression, but no, it was okay. It was, it's, it's a mid-tier Marvel movie. It's nothing more. Um I, I would say you... on that, just because I would say if Doctor Strange is like the absolute baseline, like you either go down from Doctor Strange or you go up from Doctor Strange. I think that's the mid level yeah. Marvel film. I think Captain Marvel is above it. I would it put is. Captain Marvel above that. It is, but it's not much above it, in my opinion. Um I can imagine if you were um like a ten year old girl or a twelve year old girl, it's quite cool actually having a superhero that's not Black Widow, who's got their own film about them and have actually got some quite cool powers and everything. Um, but, yeah, I, I, it, it was okay for me. It wasn't anything special. Um, I think the, that whole reason that you've just mentioned is why it's special, because, like, we're talking about it because oh, yeah, it's, okay, a, it's okay. a female well, superhero and we yeah. see it as a bit novelty. But actually, you know, between this and Wonder Woman, there, there aren't many, like non-princessy stories about no okay but maybe maybe not maybe not special um then in terms of perhaps superhero films it is special for the the type of not the type of film but the the central character but in terms of it's not a it's not a you know it's not the the best three marvel film well it's very hard to pick a best three, yeah. actually. But, you know, you're looking at the uh, first Avengers, you're looking at Infinity War, um, and then for me, Guardians of the Galaxy and Ragnarok as the, as the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's nowhere near them, but it's nowhere near the worst that they've done either. It's nowhere near Iron Man 2. Uh, see, now, I was having this conversation with, I think it was with Brooker recently, that um, I don't think Iron Man 2 is as bad as its reputation. No, but like, it's, it's put, but I think it's what is I don't think there's really any terrible of the film terrible films in well, the Incredible MCU. Well, Incredible Hulk is pretty and it's pretty terrible. Yeah, that, that's kind of compartmentalizing the fact that the guy <laughs> played the Hulk isn't the Hulk anymore. But the, and yeah, so the only thing that really links it to the MCU is the end credit scene. Yeah, and but, um, and some, maybe yeah, a couple yeah. of other little bits as well, but. You know, it's put, putting that aside. There's no terrible MCU films. It's just sort of anywhere between so right and and fantastic. Yeah, it's um, yeah, yeah. It's it's a bit. Of, I'd say, like I say, Do- Doctor Strange is my mid level. It looks good, but it's a bit bland. Otherwise, and I think it's above that. I think I'd put it a a, a few steps above Doctor Strange. Yeah. But, yeah, um, I see what but anyway, I meant, I meant to be talking about the other films, the film that I like the most that I've seen in, in 2019. Oh, yeah. um, the other film I saw at cinema in was Instant Family, which was just with the girlfriend. It's, it's a, that's fine. It's a it's an okay kind of feel good family film. It's quite it's quite nice. It's nothing special about it, but it's it's not terrible. When I saw the the trailer and I saw who was in it and I saw the premise, I thought, that's going to be terrible, and it wasn't. But no, the film that I've liked most, it's a new release for 2019, was a Netflix original, uh, Triple Frontier, which oh, is... Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. This is be interesting. Why have you seen it? I did see it, yeah. And you did not like it? I didn't really like it very much. I mean, like I said, no, I've, got, but... I've got a pool of three films to talk talk about. <laughs> so I mean, it's not it's not like the highest praise, but yeah. it's for those who don't know Ben Affleck, uh, Oscar Isaac, Charlie Hunnam from Green Street, um, doing more accents. <laughs> um, uh, 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 Army U.S. Army Special Forces or retired Special Forces people um, who go to rob a 
drug cartel leader because he's got lots of money and their gov- the US government doesn't look after its veterans, so they should go and get some money to retire on and things happen and things go wrong. Um, I just thought it was quite... <laughs> Not quite fun is the wrong word, but you know it's just quite uh, entertaining. You know, action and um, yeah. I say I can't say too much about yeah. it. I've got a pool. I've got a pool of free films to choose from, and that was what I thought was the best. That, but it wasn't interesting. It was. It was. It was just. It was just a good sort of kind of gritty heist film with some decent performances from from the people in the lead roles. Um, just the you know. I kind of feel like it could have been more interesting than it was. Like the thing that that made it quite interesting was the fact that, um, as they were obviously progressing with their plot, they were, uh, corrupting themselves. Really, it was their own greed, wasn't it, that was sort of ultimately responsible for their situation. Um, because they went in with good intentions, which was to, you know, morally bankrupt, but also at the same time, they wanted to take down a drug kingpin. Um, but I think as the, as they were going along, they were having to shed their money. They were, um, falling apart slightly, but it just felt like it wasn't, I don't know what it was supposed to be. Like it wasn't really an action film. There were some decent scenes in there but it was a very macho film about them not having machismo to save them all the time do you know what i mean it's like mm. this is this is some marines these are special forces or ex-special forces who um have to band together they're a band of brothers and you know they're dragging each other back into this world and uh actually as it goes on that's not enough and they soon realize that but also at the same time it was because they were shooting their way out of situations they were um you know taking out houses full of you know gang members and i just thought i don't know what this is it doesn't feel like like it's got as much to say as i thought it might have from the premise and it it's directed by the same guy who did uh, a most violent year which was a kind of like that film was called the most violent year and it wasn't a very violent film. I think it was unfortunately missold, but I thought it was a, a great film. I really liked a most violent year. And I, I, that was the film where I was watching Oscar Isaac and I was like, he could be Al Pacino for this generation. He could be yeah. fantastic. And so to see him in triple frontier was, a, I just don't think it was a great film. I was a bit disappointed by it. Yeah. But, yeah. It was a bit like a David Ayer movie with slightly less right-wingness. Yeah. Slightly less right-wing, but yeah. Yeah, no, I can see what you mean. But yeah, no, it's, it's the best of a, of a bad bunch of me, really. Um, mm. Mm. And I mean, if we were doing this podcast a week later, I think us probably, from the looks of it and knowing who made it, who's involved in it, would well have been at the top of that list. But um, we're recording it about... 48 hours too early to to review to, to review us so yeah I, I am very much looking forward to it and it is a horror film he said well that's good because well get out was a horror film as well wasn't it uh yeah it is and i don't know the, the only reason people say that it isn't a horror film is because there's this snootiness around horror as or genre movies in general mm. Like, oh, it's not a proper film, though, is it? Because it's, you know, it's meant to elicit a certain... And it's like, no, it, fuck off, it is. Horror is one of the most creative genres. It's one of the most diverse genres. And I think that um, Get Out was flipping great. It was funny in places. It was very dry and satirical and also very terrifying. Um, Tough watch for my girlfriend, that one. <laughs> yeah, I bet it was. Yeah, just looked at her afterwards. You go, no, well, my family likes you so much now. <laughs> didn't go, didn't go down well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, what is a film that you've seen for the first time in 2019 that wasn't a a new release that you enjoyed the most? See, most of the films that I've seen for the first time this year and enjoyed the most 
are films that like only came out last year anyway. So I'm going to skip over those. Like Death of Stalin, I thought was great. Um, so it's Death of Stalin, thought it was it was very good. Um, so I'm just going to skip that one. Isle of Dogs as well, enjoyed that. Um, I'm going to talk about a film that I I'm about ninety percent certain you've seen and talked about on the podcast, and I've watched it for the first time. Misery. Yes. Yes. I have okay. seen Misery. Good. So that's an older film that I've seen for the first time this year, and uh, it's one of those that I like that era of Stephen King adaptations, you know, around 1990, they were either really good or really bad. And the worst film I'm going to talk about is one of those as well, because I watched Misery and I was like, I'm going to watch another Stephen King adaptation that's on Netflix and was not very impressed. Uh, but yeah, Misery, Rob Rayner's uh, film from 1990, um, about an an author that definitely isn't Stephen King, who writes a series <laughs> of uh, best-selling novels, fantasy novels. He's in a car crash. He's rehabilitated by a stranger who keeps him in her house after a flood and nurses him back to wellness, but then is not quite as she seems. I don't know. How much can you say about this film? Is it to, is it a spoiler now? Do most people know what misery is? Do you think? I think I think it depends because if you're, it's always a strange one, isn't it? When it when it yeah. comes to films that are released before, like a long time before you're born or an age to watch films, especially because it's probably got an age certificate as well. So mm. it's you know, if misery came out now. How many people of our age would go and watch it straight away? Probably quite a lot. How many people of our age have seen Misery if they're not avid film fan or, you know, really into films yeah. because it was released so long ago? It is on it is on video on demand. I can't remember which service, but it's definitely on one of the three it's, that I've got. It is Netflix, yeah. I've watched yeah, it on so, Netflix, yeah. you know... You know, it's Stephen. Is yeah. Stephen King as as good a writer and esteemed a writer as he is? Is he front and center anymore? Of you know, what was the last big Stephen King adaptation that was released into the cinema? Um, you know that kind of thing. So is it? God, uh, that would have been the Gunfighter. Uh, what what did they call it? The Dark Tower. Oh, yeah. yeah, that yeah. Um, so you know, although it, there is a Pet Cemetery coming up, and the Pet Cemetery film looks good. Yeah, but any, uh, yeah. but you know, I'm pointing out whether it's a spoiler or not. I don't think it is really. It's been out long enough to to talk about. You know, we we talk about other sure. films that have been out as long as that in a lot more detail. So, yeah. Well, I want people to see Misery because I went in knowing what it was. Um, like some of the plot keywords here on on IMDb: female psychopath, brutality, obsessed fan. I think you could probably work that out within the first five minutes of the film mm. anyway, you know. I don't think that's so much as a spoiler, but I won't give you the sort of fine details about what happens. I think that probably does veer into spoiler territory. But it is famous for one scene, which I knew, like, way before I watched this, you know. Well, like uh, a lot of big Stephen King adaptations, it's been parodied oh, a million yeah. times as well, so... Yeah, yeah. But there's this particular leg break that is gruesome. And it's a very famous scene. Um, uh, but even watching it within context, you know, it's still as uh, mortifying as ever. You know, watching that and seeing seeing it happen within the context of the story and what's happening, and it's still just as freaky and difficult to, to keep your eyes on. You know, not yeah. squint through your fingers or, or anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was very good. James Caan was great as uh, as not Stephen King. Um, Kathy Bates was very good as the nurse. Um, the way that she can switch from sort of mousy and nurse-like, you know, into the full-on psychopath woman, as the IMDb tag says, you know, as it as it, it, it was a very very good performance. The fact that she won an Oscar for that role was, um, yeah, fair enough. That's, uh, yeah, she was she was very good. So, but it did lead me to watching another Stephen King film, which I'll talk about next, I guess. 
Um, but yeah, what what have you seen, Steve, um, for the first time this year and uh, quite liked? Um, well, it's a film called Cargo, which is on Netflix. It's, um, uh, I guess, an Australian film. It's certainly set in Australia. Um, a end of the world post-apocalyptic type film, which always gets me interested because I just think that's quite an interesting concept in an environment I'd thrive in. Um, <laughs> uh, it stars Martin Freeman. It's about uh, a zombie virus taking over the world. People get bitten, they turn into a zombie within 48 hours. Um, him, his family live um, on a houseboat in Australia and they're, and they're doing relatively okay. It's him, his wife and a, and a baby. Um, but, uh, for, for one reason or another, they have to leave the safety of their houseboat, um, and, um, also end up here, uh, also ends up meeting a, an Aboriginal girl who's trying to look after a zombified father. And it, it's just quite an interest. It's not kind of like a, uh, big budget film. There's not hordes of zombies running everywhere. It's, it's kind of just focused on a couple of characters, and is is quite interesting in the way they they interact with each other, interact with the infected. Their different um, mindsets towards zombies. Um, you know, obviously within uh, pretty much all zombie stuff, there's uh, the idea that humans are the real enemy, people are the real enemy, people are the real danger. There's a bit of that in there as well. Um, no, I just thought it was a, a an interesting take on. Uh, a zombie movie um, or a zombie genre. Um, is it a bit like The Road, but with um, zombies? Yes, it's not as it's not as dark and depressing and and uh, sort of miserable as The Road, but it is along those lines. Yeah, because mm. it sounds like it. It sounds like it's a bit, you know, father daughter. Yeah, it's it's the same kind of same kind of thing as the road but like not as dark i don't think there's anything as dark as the road bloody hell <laughs> just depressing yeah does it have a lot of flashbacks um because one thing that sometimes annoys me about this is they have to like they can't you know exposition away their lives before so they decide instead what they're going to do is show yeah. flashbacks and it's always really boring no there wasn't any flashbacks it was just you know they it was just yeah Linear. There was no. There was no flashbacks to an earlier time or what they were doing before the apocalypse. It was yeah, yeah. I yeah. That sounds more promising. I mean, Netflix have made quite a few of these sort of um, darker, more human drama things of late. Yeah. Over the past couple of years, like Apostle was very good, and Calibre. Um, yeah. Did you watch Calibre? I thought that was great. Yeah, I saw Apostle and Calibre towards the end of last year. Yeah, um, yeah. Both very good, yeah. Hmm. I mean, um, Apostle was just so, nuts. Oh, so crazy. But so good, though. Like, everything about it. Dan Stevens was great. Um, what's his name? Mark, uh, Michael Sheen was was good as well. Mm. Directed by the same guy who did uh, The Raid. So it's the mo like think think about the raid and then forget about the raid because it's not like the raid at all. <laughs> no. Yeah, but um, yeah, they made quite a few really good dramas uh, last year, like this sort of sort of thing. Or was was it was Cargo from last year or was it a couple of years ago? Um, but, yeah, it was anyway. first released in in cinema in Australia in twenty seventeen, but on Netflix in twenty eighteen. Yeah, right. Yeah, because I thought I'd only seen it sort of since last year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. Um, yes. Yeah, so, what's the film that you've seen this year that you would tell everybody to avoid? Okay. So, I like I said, watched that. Uh, I watched Misery and thought I'm going to dig out some other Stephen King films that are on uh, on Netflix. Uh, I I ended up watching Sleepwalkers. Have you seen Sleepwalkers? No. Right. I'm not familiar with with that. Um... Stephen King work yeah. that the, you know that yeah so this is this film actually has Stephen King down as the writer of this film like scripts and all um and it's billed as Stephen King's Sleepwalkers it's a it's about a um well it's basically about these supernatural creatures right it's Stephen King they're 
there's two supernatural beings. Um, they look, they're humanoid when they want to look like humans. Um, but it's a mother and daughter uh, <laughs> who I think within the first five minutes are buffing each other. You know, yeah, it's an incestuous mother-daughter relationship thing going on there. Mother-daughter, yeah, mother-son relationship. It's uh, Brian Krause and Alice Krieg. They play Charles and Mary Brady. Um, these are two supernatural beings who are sucking the life force out of humans. And they have a fear of cats. They hate cats. Cats are the thing that can see who they really are, which isn't two humans. It isn't a mom and a son. It's two sleepwalkers. Uh, it's so bad, Steve. It's so bad. Like, it's meant to be like a teen horror as well. Um, mm. but how, are the cats meant, how are the cats meant to translate to the human race that these people aren't what they claim to be? they don't they just they it's not even like oh the cat has seen that that's a sleepwalker and now the cat is hissing it's like the cats act actively track the sleepwalkers down like this they set traps in their garden to catch cats because so many cats keep coming to their house to kill them right it's as shit as it sounds it is it is absolute. It's the lamest film I think I've seen this year, and I mm. can give a pass to most horror films. Like if you're if you're doing this well, then that is fine. But it's small town America. It's um, boy girl relationship, and it's about cats <laughs> tracking down and killing these supernatural like sleepwalker creatures. Um, oh God, it's not even based on a novel. It's written. Purely to be a movie, uh, which should have been a bit of a red flag to start with. Um, but it's, I can't, I can't get over how shit it is. Like one of the things is it builds itself as having Ron Perlman in it. He's in it for about like four minutes, I would say, four or five minutes in the film, and he turns up as a loudmouth sheriff who, or or captain or whatever he is, who gets uh, killed. That's it. I, wow. yeah, I would not recommend this film at all. I mean, I'm quite excited for the new Pet Cemetery. I love the old Pet Cemetery film. I think it's a very underrated film in the Stephen King canon. The book is very good as well, obviously. Um, but, you know, I was going to go on a bit of a kick of watching Stephen King movies. Um, but, I, you know, Sleepwalker immediately killed that vibe for me. After Misery, Misery was great. Watching this, and I was like, no, no, I don't think I will. So that's mm. been the that's been the most disappointing film I've seen this year. Um, how about you? What's the bottom of your list, so to speak? Bottom of my list is a is a horror like yours. Um, I think when you're you're trying to put a film on that you might fall asleep to, um, or you know, towards the end of the day. You go for an hour and a half comedy or an hour and a half horror. And unfortunately, I picked the horror that was on Sky Go called Truth or Dare from last year. And it ah. stars a lot of people you might have recognised from... Um, you might have recognised from some TV shows you've watched an odd episode of here and there. Um, it's on the poster, um, the producer of Happy Death Day and Get Out. So you kind of think, well, it might be good. Nah. No. It's not. It's um about some about some people who go on like spring break or something to Mexico and some guy invites them to some place and gets them playing truth or dare and then it's revealed that the game of truth or dare is possessed by some kind of demon type thing and you have to do what it says and you have to do the dares that it says or else or tell the truth that it says or else you'll die. Um it's garbage. Yeah. Like imagine the imagine how good because it's trying to do the same kind of thing as Final Destination. I so everything's predetermined. You can't avoid death if your death's coming after you and all that. So imagine how good Final Destination is the original one. Yeah. 
Right, imagine how bad the worst Final Destination film was. Mm-hmm. Right, multiply that by about a hundred. Oh, really? That bad? And you've got and you've got Truth or Dare. There's just nothing about it that's good. Good like, death is, scenes? Is, is, Any good death scenes? Like that's what not makes really. No, there's no, nothing. Nothing overly gruesome. No big set pieces where multiple people die in some tragic accident. Just a load of crap. Yeah. Just, just you know, it's one of them films that. Like you know, where some films you'll finish and they're just all right, and you'll just think, okay, and you'll put yep. something else on or go and do something else. And there's some films that are that bad, but when they finish, you think, why did I bother? Yeah, and that is one of them. Wow! Like you watch it and you think, genuinely, why did I bother? I could have just gone to bed. Mm. Sleep would have been more entertaining. <laughs> it's it's directed by the same guy who did Kickass Two. Mm. Um, I've had more create. I've had more creative dreams. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the dreams are by their definition kind of creative, aren't they? Well, yeah. You know, well, I didn't have to put. I didn't have to put any effort into it. Yeah. <laughs> this was more effort than a dream. So yeah, I would. I would avoid that at, at, at all costs. Anyway, that's that's us done. I think. Yeah. Normally we have a recommendation, but I haven't prepared one. Have you? No. No. But I never prepared for podcasts anyway in my life. So. <laughs> well, it's good to chat to you again, Steve. I mean, it's been, yes. it's been a long time and as impromptu as these podcasts ever are. We'll have to do another one soon. But yes, that's it for this failed critic. I can't believe that. Every podcast I do lately, I give the wrong name out. Do you? Do you call them all I, failed critics? I, call, I've, I, I can't help myself. I've done so many podcasts in my life and hosted so many that I'll go, welcome to, or that's it yeah. from, and I'll say <laughs> the wrong one. That's it from Born Offside. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, anyway, that's us done. And hopefully we'll be back with another one soon. Probably, yes. Not a Brexit cast. No, definitely not. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.